Well, uh, last week, we talked about irrationality. And today, we are talking about historical truth. There's a lot of irrational thinking when it comes to history, and if you need proof, all you need to do is watch the History Channel for five minutes. Want to learn about Bigfoot? Check out the History Channel. How about uh, the ancient aliens that, that made the pyramids, also on the History Channel? Uh, mostly it's pawn shopping and uh, ice road trucking and storage wars, which are really all fun to watch. The only thing really wrong with the History Channel is its name. You know, maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but words used to mean something, you know? History. History means something. Also, why does my refrigerator have to connect to the internet? That's, I had to reset my router to change the temperature in my refrigerator. It's, you know, it's kind of it's satisfying to get old and grumpy. <clears throat> so when we're talking about historical truth, uh, we're not talking about fantastic stories set in the past. Uh, we're not talking about myths and legends. And we sure aren't talking about all the lies that get told and sold to cover up historical truth. When I talk about historical truth, I mean that there are things that are true about the past. Things that matter, both good and bad, that we can know about today through evidence. That past could be as recent as about 10 minutes ago or about as far away as 10,000 years ago. That's the span we're talking about when we talk about history. We can't know them with the same degree of certainty that we can know observable truth. You know, we can't repeat the thing and see it happen again, but it's still truth. It's a different kind of truth. It's historical truth. Historical truth is especially important for us as the church. We are here today because of it. We are a part of a community that goes all the way back to and was established by one very important historical event. The resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. We remain as an historical community by observing the practices that he established, uh, some of the practices that he himself observed. We're going to do that today, in fact. You see, historical truth isn't just trivia about the past. It helps us see the, the meaning of the present and gives us ideas for the future. Today we're going to study Psalm 78, the 78th Psalm, as we sort out what it means to know historical truth. 
This psalm is one of the 12 psalms of Asaph in the Bible. You'll see that at the top of it. It'll say a psalm of Asaph, and it doesn't say what that means. You have to look in Chronicles to know who Asaph was. Asaph was one of three men commissioned by King David to be in charge of singing in the house of God. We know from 2 Chronicles that Asaph was present for the dedication of Solomon's temple. So he was an eyewitness of the ins and outs of two kings. He was there for all the religious and political life of Israel for many, many years. Asaph Asaph knew where the bodies were buried. We don't know if he wrote uh, all of this uh, psalm or just recorded what King David said. You know, his job may have been singer, but you could also really call him an historian. We kind of see a little bit, maybe, of an historian's editorial touch in the last verse we'll look at in verse 8. So here it goes, Psalm 78, starting with a verse verse. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. I like that phrase, dark sayings from of old. This word, uh, Hebrew word dark sayings can be translated as a riddle or a perplexing question in your, your, depending on what translation you have. In our translation, in RSV, it says dark sayings, which is the most wooden direct translation of the Hebrew. You know, one of the temptations we face um, when thinking about historical truth, especially when imagining people who lived a long time ago, uh, one of the temptations we face is to believe that we are much, much smarter and more sophisticated than they were. My favorite word for that tendency is chronological snobbery. Yeah, our, our technology is a lot better. Our understanding of the universe, mwah, much better than theirs. But as far as our understanding of the human condition, we're no different than people have always been. We might actually be a little bit dumber. Our ancestors grappled with dark problems just like we do, and they found dark sayings to try and make sense of them. You know, when we look to history, we're not just studying for some test that's never going to come. We're looking for answers to problems we're facing today. And we'll find them in history. Sometimes in these dark sayings of old, uh, in the ways that those before us have come to grips with human nature and limitations, but also, more practically, in the ways that they organized and provided for themselves. We're never lacking for answers. What we are lacking is the maturity to understand the answers right in front of us. That's what this next verse is talking about. Things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. 
Anyone have a grandparent or a, grand, uh, a parent, or maybe you do this, who concludes their advice by saying, now you can never say that no one told you? Anybody? Try it on your kids, grandkids. It's a good one. They say that because they know that there's nothing wrong with the advice. There's nothing wrong with the dark sayings of old. What's wrong is you. What's wrong is us. I mean, anyone can and, and really should learn from their own mistakes. Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. Learn from the accomplishments of others, too. Just from others, period. And if you limit yourself to just learning from the others that you know right here and right now, I mean, this group would obviously be a great group, but you're really limiting yourself because most of the people who ever lived aren't alive. We were all born into a world that we had no part in creating. The product of millions of years of successful reproduction but we are not the culmination of that line. We are not the apex of history. Not at all. I mean, just look at this next line. It says, we will not hide them from their children. The things from the ancestors, the dark sayings of old, we will not hide them from their children. Not our children, their children. You know, it can be so tempting to think of ourselves as, you know, self-made, especially today to think of whatever uh, affinity group we happen to be a part of, to think of that as our community, as our people. But the danger in that is that group identity quickly becomes how we determine what's true. And what's false? Group identity trumps reason every time. You know, you're in for an inch, you're in for a mile. As much as we want our kids to choose everything for themselves and figure out who they are, we're doing them a disservice if that's all we want for them. They're not just our children. They're not just their own people. They belong to a people. They belong to an ongoing historical community. But which one? There's a lot of communities out there, a lot of peoples. Which one do they belong to? Well, the next verse will tell us. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. That people, it's the people of God. It's not about ethnicity, not mainly at least. We are a part of God's covenant people. We are grafted in to the tree of Israel. It goes on and kind of shows that. He established a decree in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children that the next generation 
might know them, might know Jacob and his father Isaac and his father Abraham, and later, you know, might know Moses. The children yet unborn and rise up and tell them to their children. Do you hear that, that note that kind of kind of carrying through all of this? That's a part of historical truth. We know these things and pass them along, knowing that children yet unborn will rise up and tell them to their children. Kids having kids, right? We're meant to steward historical truth, not just by looking to the past, to the people who aren't alive anymore, but also with an eye to the future, to the people who aren't alive yet. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You see, historical truth isn't just something you know. It's a practice you keep. We're going to stop with this next verse, verse 8, because it ends this teaching in a really particular way. It's something we need to hear, especially today, on July 4th. And that they should not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You know, on days like today, it's really tempting to look at the past through rose-colored glasses. I mean, there is a lot of good stuff back there. And when you, when you set it to music and accent it with fireworks, I mean, who wouldn't get a little misty and goosebumpy? But whenever we look to the past to evaluate what's true, what's false, we have to use our morality and our rationality. Morality first, because it ties directly into this, this verse. You see this verse, you see a lot of verses like it. You see that the Bible doesn't revise history about the ancestors and the faith. It shows just how wrong and sinful they really were, even as it celebrates how faithful and brave they could be. We need to find a way to do the same thing. Even on a day like today, we need to remember that America's original sin is the genocide of the people who first lived on this land and the enslavement of another people who worked it for hundreds of years. And because we have never made a habit of naming and repenting of that sin, we keep repeating it 
over and over, even today. And that they should not be like their ancestors. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now for the rational evaluation. Lies and other false ideas often take root and spread like a virus through communities because they feel true, because they say what we want to hear. You know, they scratch an itch that we have. We'll get more into that next week. But one lie that has spread through certain parts of the church in our nation is that America was founded as a Christian nation. It wasn't. You may have heard that. You might believe it. It's not true. There are lots of books claiming it's true. And if you only listen to certain media outlets, it might sound like a settled fact. I mean, there is money and power on the line after all. But it's just not true. The evidence points to the historical truth that our founders intended a wall of separation between church and state for the protection of both. It was one of their uh, better ideas and continues to be. Now, why does all this matter? I mean, of course it matters because truth matters. If something is true, you should believe it. But why does this matter to a bunch of Jesus followers on Sunday morning in church? It matters because at the center of our faith as Christians is an historical event. What we claim to believe is based on a an event at a specific time, on a date in history, in a real place. We believe that on that day, in our history, God, who had become a human being and whose story was recorded by those who knew him, died. And that he rose from the dead. Historical truth matters. Because we don't follow an idea or an ideology. We follow a person, a resurrected person. And on that day when Jesus rose from the dead, he broke the power of sin in our lives and in the world. And he gave us power to live a new one. That's his plan for bringing about a new world. Not through uh, the taking over of the governments of the world. History has shown very clearly that the church is allergic to power. No, our true power is in our story. 
But when we tell our story and clean up the bad parts or deny the mistakes, the bloodshed, the sin, our story loses its power. When we change historical truth to make ourselves or our ancestors look better or come out the hero, we deny the power of grace. And that's what we remember at this table today. In the bread and in the cup. That's the hope of the resurrection that's been given and that we are stewards of. The same hope that we share with our children to share with their children. We have every reason to celebrate but no ground to claim the victory as our own.